When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody this is phil town and this is danielle town welcome to the invested podcast we are we are peeling the onion <laughs> for investing uh Indeed. warren buffett style charlie munger style and uh phil town style and danielle town <laughs> style danielle's my daughter and is uh in um switzerland where yeah she's living and, I'm um, in Switzerland, yeah. as I have told a few people following me. I'm in this clinic trying to get better from long COVID. And if I'm breathing a little hard today, it's because I'm breathing a little hard today. So <laughs> bear with me, guys. <laughs> I'm trying to get my breathing better here. So uh, let's, uh, let's Yeah, so in. let's talk about investing practice. What's yeah. going on? We left off last time talking about pricing power. We like had a big discussion over pricing power. We ended up talking about um, inflation-proof companies, and I certainly want to hear more about inflation-proof companies. But is that what's going on in your investing practice, Dad? Anything it sure is so on top of your mind right now? Well, I think we've talked about inflation being such a dominant um, part of the economic landscape that we have to invest uh, in a way that will prevent us from having losses due to inflation. And inflation is this, is a huge tax. I, I don't know if people are aware of this, but it's a gigantic tax. Right now, inflation in the United States is running over 8%, and that's just what they say it is. Um, in calculated the way they used to do it back in 1980 before they started getting clever, um, the inflation rate is over 15% right now in the United States. So it's very, very, and the point of that is that at 15%, it cuts the, the purchasing power of your dollar in half in five years. So, And at 8%, it cuts it in half in nine years. So this is no joke. I mean, hmm. people who are on fixed pensions will be crushed by the buying power, destru uh, destruction of the buying power. So um, the reason it's such a huge tax is if you think about it for a second is that let's say that um, you're going to pay three, uh, 30% taxes on, on incremental income that comes in and you make an extra $10,000, okay? So now your after tax is going to be $7,000 and that might be an increase, let's say, oh, well, let me, let me start over. Let's say you get an increase in your paycheck Wait, let me just give a figure out the context of what's what's this thought process all okay. about. Well, the context is that that inflation is taking away um, money that you yeah. don't realize it's taking away. Yes, yes, of course. That's kind of what's going on there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you're earning, let's say you're earning a hundred thousand. Let me start again. You're earning a hundred thousand dollars, and the inflation rate is eight percent. 
and you're paying, let's let, let's say 20% taxes. So you're in a hundred and you pay $20,000 in taxes. You have $80,000 left over and you have an 8% inflation rate. Um, that buying power just went down by over $6,000 that year. In other words, you just got a tax increase of, you were paying 20,000 in taxes. Now you're paying 26,000 in taxes. See what I'm saying? In terms of what you have left to purchase with. And you don't notice that, but it's a, it's Oh, I think everybody notices. Well, yeah. Good yeah, Lord, yeah. who is not noticing? But one way to noticing. think about it is that you just got a tax increase of 30%. Hmm. That's huge. You would scream bloody murder if they did that at the federal government level or the state level. You would be absolutely floored. Also, you would discover if they actually put that tax increase through that the economy would stumble. And so you're, you, people just simply don't have enough money, right? They, they don't have the money that they had last year. And therefore, they won't be able to consume what they consumed last year if they spent all of their money. And so that impact of consumption going down um, starts to really affect the, uh, the economy and ultimately it's going to affect the stock market prices. If wages don't increase commensurately, yeah. Right, if wages don't increase commensurately. And here's the really, really insidious thing about inflation is that wages can only increase for a while to keep up and then they can't. It, it's, it, it's that companies really quickly run out of pricing power. And mm -hmm. they need pricing power, if they're gonna pay people more money, they've mm -hmm. gotta increase prices to account for that change in labor, uh, labor costs. And it, it, most companies can't do that forever. Yeah. There are, there are a few companies yeah. that can do it quite a long way and that's what we want to talk about here. What kind of companies yes. can do that for quite some time more than everybody else? And that's what we want to focus on. Those companies have pricing power and are what we'd consider to be inflation proof. And um, we talked about another word that we use for this called anti-fragile that mm -hmm. comes right from mm -hmm. Nicholas Taleb, uh, who wrote a whole opus about it called anti-fragile. So this is a really important thing for you as an investor to realize is that if you're investing in exchange traded funds and most broad market mutual funds, you're investing in the predominant number of companies that will not be able to effectively raise their prices over, over a long period of time of inflation. And therefore your, your overall returns will uh, become substantially less and less and less as time goes along compared to someone who is owning just those companies which are inflation proof. Mm -hmm. And that's well, why- we were talking, go ahead. I was gonna say, that's why Warren Buffett did so extremely well mm. back in the 1970s. I mean, basically moved his net worth from 60 million to about 600 million in a 10 year period because he focused on companies that were very, very anti-fragile and inflation proof while there was massive inflation growing. Yeah, he just did so unbelievably during that time. Not only in the way that you just said, which is he made an absolutely unbelievable amount of money, success within that time period, but I also see like for myself as an investor and for my practice, my daily life, my, my uh, you know, how much time do I put into this? Um, what he did during that time period was find probably four or five companies that he kept for 
30 still, years, 40 yeah, years, still. some of them till now. Yeah. American and Express, notably. American Express, now. exactly. So not only did he do what every investor wants to do, which is choose the winners, but he just got to sit back and enjoy it That's for such purpose. a so long purpose. amount of time. Like he did the work and then the work was done. I mean, it wasn't 100% done. Like we were talking about a few episodes ago where of like keeping up with the company and continuing to make sure that you don't have confirmation bias and you're not staying with a company that's changed, et cetera. So I'm sure he was doing that because he's all over it. But it's less work to do that than it is to oh, find a new man. company. And I'll tell you, that's not to get off onto that that subject off away from inflation, but man, it's hard to do it. It you know, I've come up from nothing as an investor. And when you're starting with nothing, you really want the velocity of your money to be really high all the time. Mm -hmm. You're always looking for the next best deal and you're going to get out of the stuff that's already grown and and made made a 100 percent return or 200 percent return. You're going to get out of that because now there's less uh, rate of growth available. Right. It's already made yeah. that big jump from being on sale because of an event to back to a relatively normal stock price. And True. from that point on, it's going to only grow typically at the rate of growth of the company. So you're moving from something that's making you 25, 30 percent a year to well, if you don't move it, it's now it's going to be 10 percent a year, 12 percent a year. And so you move over to, to another thing that you think will will do well. And, I, and when I first started investing, I did that pretty well. And it's a lot easier when you're a lot smaller and you're not managing, hmm. you know, nine figures. It's a different story. So you the the. Uh, thing that made Buffett so amazing is that he would stay with the right companies. I mean, I've been following Warren for my whole career and um, he exits a lot of companies. It he does. It's not, it's not broadly known, but he sells a lot of stuff. You know. I think that was the thing that surprised me the most when I read the letters um, for the investing intensive last year. I did not know how many companies he was. He was selling every single year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was unusually, it was a rare letter. Rare as in like maybe one out of 20 where he did not describe at least one mistake, grave mistake right. that he had made and right. that he had therefore sold the company because of this mistake he had made. It's a funny thing too about this style of investing. It's like, you know, you. I have a year where I, where I made a clear error, right? Got, typically, the clear error that I made would be sold a company too soon. Mm -hmm. right? We talk about Chipotle a lot here. I sold it so too soon. <laughs> and it just kept rocketing off into the sky blue yonder. And um, I've done that repeatedly in my career. And it's really easy to be very critical of yourself, like uh, to second guess and have hindsight of 2020 um, about these things. but at the end of the day, you look at your rates of return and they're good. It's like, they're, you know, you're, you're making positive rates of return consistently over time. And that's, you don't need to compare yourself to the stock market or to anybody else. If you're making positive rates of return over time, beating inflation, hmm. ultimately you'll be very rich. It's just, it just compounding at higher rates of return makes you rich. Eventually you oh, get I there. love that. Comparison is the thief of joy, right? Ooh, where did that come from? I like uh, that. Somebody smarter than me, for sure. Wow, that's, that's really cool. I, I think that what you're saying is the, or to, here's a Buffett one, use the inner scorecard instead of, or is that Munger? Um, the it inner scorecard like instead of the outer scorecard. So and what you're scorecard. saying is I'm just looking at 
myself. Did I lose money? What's rule number one? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm doing pretty good. Doing good. So keep those keep those companies down that you lose money on. Avoid those. And eventually, what what Warren said once is just so smart. It's just if you just focus on doing this the right way, the way we're we're talking to you guys about. Um, ultimately, four or five companies that do well will make you rich. Hmm. You just avoid is, the ones that do badly. It is hard to stick, though. It is. And oh. I think every long-term Ooh. investor I know has bemoaned the companies they've sold too yeah. early. And this is a little bit the uh, you know the the benefit of looking back for ten years on something, and where you say, okay, well, as the University of Nevada Las Vegas did, you know, we only we're buying Buffett when he buys, and we're selling Buffett stuff when he sells, and then we're just going to do that for thirty years. And University of Nevada Las Vegas did that study. In the mid '70s, we've talked about this a lot, but the thing they have an advantage of there is they're not having any emotion whatsoever around their entire portfolio, which you know, partway through this 30-year period, is becoming millions of dollars, and makes it in the real world it makes you emotional. In the real world, you start to worry that you're going to leave money in there and it's going to disappear. That you've now, now you have a comfortable lifestyle sitting there in your portfolio, and and you know, I think the UNLV study took. Yeah, I think one time I said, if you if you put $5,000 a year into this um, over this 30-year period of time, you would end up with $18 million, right? And and um, But I, I don't know if you'd be so comfortable staying in these things enough to no. get the whole enchilada. You have to literally just say, me I'm, so only much. Gonna, I'm only going to do Buffett when he does it, and I'm just going to trust that he's fabulous. And, but it's hard to do these hindsight studies about Buffett. I mean, they're great. You know, they prove that he's probably the greatest the investor that, that ever lived. Yeah. Would you, you, the general you, be making those choices to follow Buffett back in 73? That's a leap. You know, he's That's not Buffett leap. at that time. Right. And well, how many articles... At that time. He, was, he was pretty rich and pretty well known. I mean, in... Uh, yeah, but so how how many people are pretty rich and pretty well known? You know, no, he was he was rich enough and well known that the guy who wrote uh, Random Walk on Wall Street, uh, Malkiel, Burton Malkiel at Princeton, uh -huh. had to respond to the Buffett question in 1973 when he wrote the book. Really? Yeah, he he put a whole thing in there about we need to deal with the Warren Buffett question because obviously Warren Buffett has made a fortune and has beaten the market. And, uh, I did not connect that, that it was that early. Yeah, he wrote that book in, I think it came out in 73. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So yeah, he Buffett was pretty, pretty well known as a guy that is definitely breaking the mold of typical investing rates of return. And that's when Malkiel came up with the whole lucky monkey hmm. concept that there's always going to be lucky monkeys for you know any length of time of coin flipping. And Buffett was a lucky monkey. And it was 1988 when Buffett decided he'd finally respond to that criticism. So 15 years later, 
Yeah, and the, but those were the 15 years, right? Those were the <laughs> right. 15 those were the, years. Where he could look back and, and at <laughs> Columbia, look back at what Malkiel criticized him for, being a lucky monkey, and say, oh, well, by the way, there's another 15 lucky monkeys out here who I yeah. trained or who were trained by Graham. And we've all done this. I'm only in the middle of the pack in 24% compounded rate of return for the mm -hmm. last you know, 15 years. I'm just in the middle of the pack. Look at these guys. They're way better than me. And uh, and just destroyed the idea that that he was just. You know, and, and the funny thing that he said was that, yeah, I could be a lucky monkey and that guy over there could be a lucky monkey. But if we're all in the same zoo, it's no longer lucky monkeys. And he was basically <laughs> saying we're all operating the same basic principle. The stuff we're teaching you guys in this podcast are the principles that these so-called lucky monkeys employed in public funds audited with rates of return that were virtually all above 18% per year compounded during a time when the stock market went nowhere. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty powerful comeback. Um, it's very powerful. And I don't know, I, I think like to your point about could you like emotionally handle just following that portfolio uh, just in the amount of time that I've been the five years that I've been practicing investing seriously um, I have seen article after article after article is Buffett finished has right. the, the era of Buffett uh, does he no longer work in this kind of market right. has the tech industry eclipsed Buffett and now his principles right. no longer are useful and they're like this market is a new market it's a new era da, 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 da. there's so yeah. many articles like that and I can only imagine what it was like back then when he well I thought he was less proven but you're saying he's yeah, pretty, he was he was just as much of like the godfather but I, I tell you we, now. those criticisms all were absolutely everywhere in 1998 1999 uh when buffett wasn't particularly you know just kind of hang hanging on not doing a lot of investing mm -hmm. um and so here we are again with the same round of criticisms and uh, he, he it, it just keeps bouncing back into these enormously high growth rates right now berkshire hathaway i think is the highest growth rate of its stock I'm, I'm not positive, but of any of the great big companies that are out there, you know, right now. So it's like, oh, everybody's shutting up again now about Buffett. But let's go back to, to what been nice. he actually it's been, I've been enjoying does. that one. <clears throat> yes. So I thought I'd, I'd give you guys some examples um, of companies right now that are uh, exhibiting pricing power. Oh, yes, please. might be some companies you might be, might be fun for you to take a look at them. And I won't. <clears throat> I, I am going to do my lawyer thing and say mm -hmm. in advance, and then you're going to confirm it, mm -hmm. that we do not endorse any of these companies. Some of the information here is probably wrong, mm -hmm. and you all need to go do your own research, and maybe they are all terrible and going to go to zero tomorrow. Yeah. So this, this list comes actually out of an article from CNN Business. You can Google it. Um, Oh, it's not even your list. No. <laughs> this is great. In fact, it comes out. It came out on March second. Right. <laughs> I thought it'd be better than given your like lawyerly disclosures. Proprietary list of no, 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 PBT no. companies. I thought I would. Uh, I would just take CNN Business. They ju they just did this cute little article. 
um, called the big companies that aren't shy about raising prices. And I thought, okay, let's see what you put on here. And ah. um, I know, I, I you, you, you'll know. I take a back of my these. lawyerly uh, disclaimer. Yeah. Because it's not even our list, so it's super obvious. Yeah, but I will. Go blame I will CNN weigh in on for your mistakes. And I think you'll see as we go along here that these are these are actually a pretty good list. It's a pretty good list, and it's not surprising one to see an in say mm-hmm. one might say one might say that should one do all of their research and make their own personal decision. Right, one might. Say. Right, Dad. Right, exactly. Okay. Should do that. But what I'm going to say here is that you don't have to be a great um, analyst here to write this article for CNN. All you have to do is go out there and find, whoa, what are the list of companies, large, let's go with large companies that people have heard of. Let's list that list of people, of companies that are raising their prices, publicly speaking out that we're raising our prices. And um, okay. And guess what? That's going to be a pretty good list of inflation-proof companies. It shouldn't be a big surprise. We okay. had major inflation going on for more than a year, and the costs are going up for all of the companies out there to produce a product. It, your, their internal cost, that means the cost of their materials, the cost of their labor, right? Their lawyers are raising their prices, the insurance companies are raising prices. So everybody's raising, if you're building a widget, all of the in inputs into the widget are going up, mm-hmm. right? And now yeah. the question is, can I raise my prices for my widget? Okay, so let's say your widget is a service company and you're cleaning houses. That's what, what your company does. Yeah. Then you ask yourself, can I raise my prices? Do I have pricing power? And the answer is going to be, well, the proof is in the pudding, right? If you try to raise your price. So all of your costs of materials are going up. The people who work for you want more money. They can go down the street to Bucky's and get a job at $20 an hour sweeping the floor. So same kind of job, you're paying them 10, you gotta raise your price, you gotta raise them. All right, so now your labor costs have doubled and, and your inputs have doubled, soap is more expensive. You got the idea. I got now, the can, idea. Can you it's raise not about your, if, can you raise your prices, it's about once you raise your prices, what happens? do your sales <laughs> Well, here I am, let's say or, I'm a consumer. Continue I, to grow. Let's say that you work, I use your services to clean my house. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm used to paying, um, you know, uh, $50. Okay. Okay. So now you come to me and say, Phil, we've got all these price increases. I've got to raise my prices to $70. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's fine if I'm rich, but if I'm not rich, if, if this was a marginal purchase for me, that means I really want to have a house cleaner, barely can afford it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to stretch here and do it because it makes my life easier. Now, when you raise your prices like that, I have to think, do I need to do your service at yeah. all? First off, do yeah. I need a house cleaner? And second, the first thing, the next thing you're gonna think is, who's doing it for 50? Yeah. I'm gonna look around for an alternate because you know what? Probably the next company is as good as you are. Totally. So you don't have pricing power. If somebody's out there and can keep people working for $10 an hour or they're willing to do it themselves, they may keep their prices at $50 and I will move to them because I don't really have that deep of an affinity for your product. So that's that's pricing power or no pricing power. 
So the companies that can raise their prices are actually in a really interesting position in their market. So that's what we're going to talk about. Is this, this a list of companies that, because you keep saying they can raise their prices. They, they can. did. Is this a list of companies that has Have. raised their prices? Yes. And we don't know what the consequences are regarding their They're, sales or their revenues? No, no, we know the consequences. They're we doing know. Yeah. Okay. Their Say the list, please. Been, okay. So the first one on the list is um, really fascinating to me, is uh, TJ Maxx. Love Isn't that TJ interesting? Maxx. I mean, you guys who don't know TJ Maxx, TJ Maxx is a retailer, and they're in the shopping centers around the U.S. And they um, pick up. They're they're like a kind of a a treasure hunt company. They're, it's the overstock. It's a store that takes the overstock from yeah a lot of other more high end stores. But they're really good at creating cheaper. a treasure hunt. They like they the way they do it has people coming back over and over as a kind of adventure, as a bit of a recreation, to kind of come in there and try to find a treasure. That's yeah, because you never cheap. know what's gonna be there. You never know. In the UK, it's TK Max, And I actually don't know if it's under the same umbrella company. <laughs> but I always thought that was funny. So, um, TJ Maxx is actually able to keep its pricing power. It has a really solid moat. This is what a moat looks like, is that people are going to come in there, maybe even more than ever, as the economy starts to become more difficult, then people who would normally shop at a regular you know, brand retailer might be coming to TJ Maxx to look for that same brand, Absolutely. but be able to buy it super cheap. Yeah. And so with that kind of a flow down the economic ladder, TJ Maxx is sitting there at the bottom of this economic ladder kind of going, wow, we can raise our prices and people are still going to come in the door. And they did. And they did. So stuff you could have bought last year at a, a really lower price is now available at a little bit higher price. But you don't notice it because it's still cheap relative to what you're going to pay somewhere else. So TJ Maxx. Isn't that cool? Potentially anti-fragile company. Yeah. That like is staring me in the face, you know? Yeah. Interesting. That's huh? really interesting because it's the, their whole. I have not researched this company, so like, don't listen to me a hundred percent. But their whole supply chain is from the higher priced retailers, which are ostensibly the companies that would have a harder time with inflation and with a recession. So who benefits from that? TJ Maxx then has more inventory to buy from, let's say, if the other places are having a hard time selling and potentially could even get it at a better price. And then they turn around and the customers come in more there than they do in the other stores. Yep. That's and an just for fun, um, they they hit almost $80 in their stock price. They're now at around $60. Hmm even though they're pretty anti-fragile and they're able to raise prices, why would their stock price go down? And probably because um, most, most investors that run in institutional funds have analysts and have lots of analysts and their analysts are gonna look at the industry group and they're going to see its retail and that mm, retail may not do well in inflationary period or a recession. And so they may be heading out of that generally vulnerable area of the market. Um, or because they, of online, right? Or potentially. 
people will like, maybe go to online to try to buy some stuff. I buy stuff from this fantastic overstock website that's, well, it's here in Europe. I don't know which country it's actually from. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I love this web. It's called <laughs> Best Secret, you guys. If you're in, Ger- it's definitely in Germany and Switzerland. Best Secret. And this is like not an ad. I just like them. And, um, and they actually have like good stuff on there and they have fast shipping. I just love them. So, um, yeah, like I would say people who are concerned about retail are smart. And at the same time, what TJ Maxx has that I can't get from any of those websites. Zalando, by the way, also for my European compadres, has um, pre-owned, has a whole pre-owned site, which is fantastic, and a like discount overstock site. Um, you have to sign up for that one separately, everybody. I did not know that until my hairstylist told me that. <laughs> um, but what TJ Maxx has is one, you can sift through all the stuff, which often with these sorts of things are sized wrong or sized weirdly. So you can try them on, especially with jeans, that's true. And then also they have a lot of like kitchen stuff and they have a lot of housewares, homewares. And when I lived in Colorado, I bought a lot of stuff for my house at TJ Maxx and it was so great because it was just like there and available and well-priced. So there are benefits to like a physical location but i get why people are concerned about it yeah i mean that's a that's a big deal plus that there's other companies coming out home goods is as you say is cranking out additional competition home goods um, is also great yeah you know so you've got <clears throat> you got competition coming out there and you got a question of there's going to be enough people walking around stores and you know to keep it going so they there's there's other reasons to be concerned about it and I, I won't tell you what I think about the value relative to the price even now. Just the fact that it was at 80 doesn't mean it's a bargain at 60 by any mm-hmm. means, right? I mean, it might have mm-hmm. been, been priced properly at 40 and a bargain would be 20, right? So you've really got to understand how to value the business. Not, not difficult, but the key first thing to do is understand this is a great business. If, at the right price, this is a great business. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, next one on the list is uh, another really interesting one, Live Nation. Oh, so Live Nation's been getting their butt kicked for two years, right? As all of yeah. the Live Nation are the guys that put on concerts and and uh, seminars all over the country, and you know they're the guys they, they own uh, Ticketmaster, and they're they're the big, really almost a monopoly position, not quite, but really really large large position of the market, and of course had no pricing power when it came to the pandemic because nobody was going into a concert. But now they're coming back and they are raising prices. They're they're keeping their margins hmm. and they're getting away with it. People want to be out, uh, out and about. Hmm. And um, Live Nation is using that near monopoly to absolutely insist on more money. Um, again, the hmm. pricing on these companies is right now on Live Nation is completely nuts in my view. But <laughs> you know, take a look at it. Live yourself. Nation is owned by Liberty, right? No, they're they're independent. I think. They're independent. Yeah. Which one's owned by Liberty? Um, Liberty owns Madison Square Garden. No, no, no. They own. Uh, they own a. This is us like Braves. in real time looking. These are different up. liberties. They're different liberties out there. They own different stuff. That maybe okay. Onward though, while you're you're busy doing that. Yeah, yeah. They own Live Nation. I wasn't crazy. Do they really? Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
Which Liberty? Liberty Media, the same one that owns Formula One and everything you just said. Oh, well done. I haven't dug in on Liberty. They've owned it for, for quite a while. And when the pandemic, because I looked at it a bit when the pandemic happened, and they were, as I've said a few times on here, Liberty Media has a very confusing stock structure and one that I would very much caution people to make sure they understand. And so what they did is they moved Live Nation into a different stock, kind of, when the pandemic happened in order to like separate the kind of the the well-performing subsidiaries from the poorly performing subsidiaries. And it was a little bit, I don't know. I don't know what the right word for what it was is. I guess people can have different opinions about it. But it gave me pause, shall I say, on if I owned a particular Liberty stock, how reliable is it that I would actually own the subsidiaries that are in that stock? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I rarely look at Liberty and I probably should have been back on top of that, but man, yeah, I'm just looking at them right now. So they own Sirius, they own Formula One, um, which is taking a big ride right now because of uh, Netflix, I think. They own the Braves. Huh. What else do they own here? I don't see... Uh, I don't see Live Nation in there. Huh. Um, well, some one of the Liberties owns Live Nation. I don't know which one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of them. If you want to, if you want to get to some sophisticated investing, start taking a look at, at Malone's Liberty Group. They're they're just an amazing company. They carry a lot of debt, which makes it difficult for me to really pay much attention to them. Um, but man, they're really good at what they do, and you know, I always regret not owning them for a long time. Hindsight being yeah, funny and all. I will say on that as well that John Malone has been a he's the leader of of Liberty for thirty or forty years. And he um, took it from being a telecom company to being this massive media entertainment conglomerate that it is now. And uh, what I just wanted to say is that John Malone is stepping away from the company. So the massive genius brains that has made this happen is not going to be so much around in the future. And so... Yeah, you know, I think people are also observing that, and I'm sure he's got oh, great yeah. people yeah, yeah, yeah. coming up. Yeah, they do on Live Nation. Yeah, yeah, it's buried <laughs> in the footnotes, but they do. You gotta believe me on some. I believe you. I believe you. I believe. <laughs> I, I kept looking because I knew you were right. Yeah, it's really buried down in the footnotes. So yeah, yeah I think I Liberty. For people who are interested in these types of companies, I think Liberty is such a company that is well worth. The, well worth the time if it's something that is like super interesting to you and grabs you and you are really into those kinds of companies like Liberty is such a cool company mm. and it's going to take some work because like I said the way they divide their stock up is a system that I have never seen in any other public company ever so yeah. they've made it work for them it's legal but there's a reason that other companies don't use this sort of bifurcated stock system um, because it's very, very complicated and people are unsure of what they actually own and um, it can be moved very easily. So like I said, it works well for them. 
Yeah. Kind of the like tough, the toughest part for me here is that they're caution. paying about sixteen billion dollars in debt, net after cash. Hmm. And that's hard. That's like, oh man, man. I don't I just it's just so hard for me to understand the business well enough. All right. So back okay. to the next one. Another really interesting one, which is Norwegian Cruise Lines is raising their rates. Now you, you wouldn't think a cruise line would be raising rates into the teeth of this pandemic, just hammering I their business. I would not think that. <clears throat> okay, I we are like running up on time here. Oh, okay. I'm gonna say let's pick up <clears throat> next week straight there with Norwegian Cruise Lines and how the heck they could raise rates. Okay. And Fair then enough. let's talk about this list and why you think these guys have pricing power. Alrighty, back to okay. you next time. Thanks you guys. Thanks time everybody. See ya. Bye. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.